Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's January 19th. It's, uh, what time is it? Like 6 p.m., 6-something on a Tuesday. I thought it was a Monday, but... Um, Thank God it's not. It's, yeah, it's not. It's not Monday. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I woke up this morning. I was like, oh, Monday. Damn it. And, and I realized very quickly that it was a Tuesday. So I have, uh, I have very many people to thank during the Civil Rights Movement that brought that to, uh, to bear. So I, I would first off... In in a serious and non-serious way, also thank and make a comment on that part of our history um, at a time where we all need a little bit of love and peace and uh, and in order to not go crazy. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on out in the world, Rihanna. I think I've been using these like art, like recordings and podcasts to essentially supplement therapy. Uh, so this has been wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to say thank you. I don't really know what I'm trying to say. Like the, no, no. I mean, I'll obviously take the thank you, and you're welcome. <laughs> but um, it's like the this tweet that I saw. I don't know how long ago it was now. Maybe like a month ago, um, where someone <laughs> tweeted about this uh, in this other soccer podcast called Stadio. The the first segment of a day always kind of chat the shit, and they were talking about um, one of the co-hosts said. I wonder what percentage of men do podcasts just to feel something. <laughs> and yes, yes. I mean that, that is us basically. So and, wow, my heart dropped. <laughs> like, oh no comment. Um <laughs> but uh Elias, you're back in the city. I'm Wanna back, give baby. You a welcome back. I'm back. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to be back. I came back yesterday during the long weekend. Um, honestly, it's really good to be back. It's refreshing to just, I mean, like today during lunch, um, I had to run a couple of errands and I just, I went for like a bit of an extended walk and I was like, I forgot, I really forgot what going around and seeing things and seeing a bunch of people around was like, like even in a COVID world, like it was just so refreshing. Um, I'm excited, of course, see you soon, Rian. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see you probably over the weekend. We'll, uh, we'll keep safe during the weekday when we all have work and want to stay safe and whatnot, but I'll, uh, we'll probably get back to watching soccer pretty soon, which is honestly extreme. The most exciting news. That is, that is. And with that, shall we begin Elias? Um, let us, let us begin. <laughs> if you are listening to this podcast, you know, Rian and I pretty well likely um or if you don't you have gotten to know our voices and our analysis and our thoughts on a variety of different teams throughout europe over the last year and a half rian liverpool united let's talk about that because it reminded me a lot of the chelsea united game earlier in the season when i had two choices i mean i had one choice which is to come to your apartment watch the game enjoy it you know drink it in with friends not literally, but um, yeah, enjoy enjoy football. The other option, of course, that day was to stay home, nap, miss the whole game, and be sad about it or say you didn't miss much. Of course, in both of these fixtures, option B would have been the better of those two choices <laughs> in each one. What happened during this game, Rian? Like, I, I'm going to be honest. I watched only like two-thirds of this game. 
because I couldn't bring myself to watch the latter half. And I texted Rian during, um, I think it was during halftime, where I said I'd literally rather watch Atafe versus Osasuna in La Liga. And uh, Rian's response was, well, no. <laughs> but that's my honest opinion. So, Rian, wh- yeah, what, what are your thoughts on this extremely underwhelming fixture? Yeah, I think... I think it's decent to look at it similarly to the past Chelsea United game from the first from the first few weeks of the season. I I think this one has a bit more to do. I think this was actually a slightly more, was more entertaining than that one, honestly. The, um, but I think when you look at the circumstances, Liverpool still with their injury troubles, especially in the back line where they're now having to play. Fabinho and Henderson, two of their best pressing midfielders at center back right now. And not just that, like two of their, you know, initiators of attack, right? Like you look at a potential midfield three of Tiago, Fabinho and Henderson, and you think that's pretty damn good, right? But that's not being allowed to happen. That's that mid, that uh, triangle is actually like kind of flipped on the other's way, whereas yeah, those yeah. two guys would be sitting in front of Tiago, or it might be Fabinho in those, and uh, Tiago and Henderson sitting in front of him. It's flipped now, too. Those guys are playing at center back. And and um, and you kind of see it sometimes, too, where Tiago, as is, he kind of lies deep in the attacking play. And so, like, those three actually sometimes end up standing next to each other, like, in passes, like, when um, Liverpool has the ball. But, yeah, back to the game itself. It, Look, United played the way that we expect them to play um, in these games. They're but it's frustrating. Like it, it's yeah. just it's. I, I don't know. I don't want to interrupt no, you. No, no, you very have every right to be frustrated. You have every right to be frustrated <laughs> as a as a neutral, especially. Like, this is how United plays in these games for the most part, right? But on like a broader kind of um, look, there. That's how a lot of these games have been going in England, at least, right? A lot of these games between. Whatever, whether you want to call them title contenders or top four, top five teams. Just giving a little rundown here. Like Liverpool United, nil-nil. Chelsea United, nil-nil. Tottenham Chelsea, nil-nil. Manchester City Liverpool, 1-1. One, one. In, a, in a game that was pretty boring for a, a lot of it. Um, Manchester City, Manchester United, nil-nil. Everton Liverpool, 1-1. One, one. And then you see you have a couple... Well, one big result in Tottenham and United it was a six-one, and one of those teams went down to ten men in the first like fifteen minutes of the game. Um, and United Leicester were two-two, and that was and that was a pretty that was probably the most entertaining of of any of these types of games, right? But yeah, I think it's more of a thing that's happening in England in general, and in general, a lot of the big games in England are pretty cautious. Um, but even more this season, it feels like, and, you know, you wonder how much of that has to do with the circumstances of this season and, um, you know, in general English, the way these games go are usually pretty cagey and, and, uh, not a lot being given up. Teams are more worried about losing than anything else. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like it's just an England thing because you look across most of Europe, I mean, Juventus and Inter played a 2-0, and that was a great game, where yeah. I mean, Juve lost, but a great game. Um, yeah. The Juventus-AC Milan game 
really, really good. Um, I, I think uh, a Classico was really, really good. I thought for like forty five minutes, and, and then a bit, a bit more KG yeah. in the second half. Um, but hey, look at and then look into Germany. Um, Leipzig and Bayern played a three three just a month ago. So it's it feels a bit unique to England right now, but. And Bayern and Leverkusen, but yes, yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Bayern, Bayern, Leverkusen, 3-2, where, where Bayern had to come back from down to no. Um, so it, it's, it feels like it's maybe just an, an English, an England Premier League thing right now. But, but Elias, even in your just two-thirds of watching this game, did, did this, this game make you kind of change your mind at all uh, with either of these two teams, like title chances? Um, it made me realize that it, it actually solidified for me that United will not win the title. And I'm not being facetious. I mean that genuinely because you cannot win a title playing like that for 38 plus games. You, you, you simply cannot. You're going to be beat by better Jose teams. Mourinho would beg to differ, but no, that's Jose a, Mourinho that's a is that's literally... A joke. <laughs> Don't get me started. Didn't mean but to no, gaslight. Actually, no, the, the, don't even gaslight because that makes a good point. He is the one exception to that rule. If you think about any other coach that's tried to play pragmatically for, I mean, let's let's be honest, for a top six side in England, they don't go on to title, right? I mean, I, I can't think of... Let, take Claudio Ranieri for a second. Like... Mm. L- he didn't play pragmatically. He played extremely aggressively and defensively when necessary. That's not pragmatic. United play extremely pragmatically. They play it safe. They play counterattacking when they need. It's not a formula to win the league. It's formula to win certain games. But I would rather look at the games that United have lost or lost points to tell me a bigger story. And what that tells me are two things. One, like I said before, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not a strong coach yet. He doesn't have the tactical knowledge and abilities able to coach top six side in England. I would argue potentially even a Premier League side. I mean, the Wolves game was just a perfect example of that for me. Correcting things at the very last second and relying on individual skill to get you where you need to go isn't good coaching that's just that's just coaching it's not it's just like on a whim it's not it's not anything but when you look at the games where they actually dropped points those mistakes weren't even able to be corrected it wasn't like individual mistake the only reason i.e harry Maguire. it was like a genuine tactical problem that could not be fixed now you have your bruno fernandez's of the world and even pogba in this game to, to some degree you know, stepping up, and also Luke Shaw, stepping up when the moment calls on them, and that's yeah. great. He played but well. Again, yeah, Shaw played well. Yeah, no, they played well. But again, show me that team performance or right. a team performance over 30-plus games, and it doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. So it's a miracle that they're in first still to me, but I think – and you said it too. Mm-hmm. Not after today. No, okay, no, 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 no. Liverpool, this is what you said over the weekend. Liverpool at 60 plus percent would have beaten this team easily. Yeah. They're just not at it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's why I say I think it's it was more entertaining than the Chelsea United game that you talked about. Like, the first, I thought, half hour-ish, like, Liverpool got into some good positions and they just look 
their front three looks extremely tired. I mean, I maybe a slightly a bit out of form if you want to talk about Firmino and and Mane to a very small a smaller extent, but um, they just look like uh, three guys who have played so many games over the last two and a half years. And this season with Diogo Jata coming in with the signing of Minamino last January, those were supposed to be two players that were supposed to help carry the load for them. Right. And instead, you know, we go into this game and they have to start again. And granted, they would have started anyways against United, but they have to come off the back of starting four or five games in a row. And Jordan Shakiri has to come in and play too because there's there's like a lack of um of bodies really, um. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's uh, interest. It's a very hard to really for me to look at this game and and have a hugely different feelings about these teams just because of this game. Um, because I, I think more or less this is kind of how I expected uh, at least Manchester United to play, and and it just feels like Liverpool's really tired right now, and that's why I wanted to say last week a draw, but Elias' um, social peer pressured me into into, <laughs> into uh, picking a winner, but um, no, it's... I think you're right on the on the United in terms of um, their, their uh, title credentials after this type of game but all that being said we should say that we shouldn't mention that they haven't lost since november 7th so i just i mean fair i just i don't know both both teams confuse me liverpool less so i I give them credit for not dropping all those points and and i think that's largely down to klopp his assistant um it, it the one thing with liverpool that I think still has yet to... I don't know if I have a firm answer on this. I don't know if Firmino's role needs to change or not. I just don't know if he's playing an out-and-out center-forward position, a false nine position, or in some cases, like a deep-lying 10. I, I, yeah, I think that, it's a bit... That's, yeah, I think it's a bit I, of... Of uh, yeah, like you said, withdrawn and deep lying ten more than more than a focal point. I think that's kind of been their mo the last few years. Yeah. Like he he's really it, it there has. to link it up. But this, this is my point. I don't know if his position needs to change because clearly the front three are not linking up in the way that they used to. Well, I mean, you can you can definitely I would say at least fifty percent of that is down to fatigue. I, I think that's completely yeah. fair, but. There's an element of chemistry that I think has been a little bit diluted that can't be ignored. Um, it might partially be due to the fact that I think, from what I've seen, I feel as though Mane and Salah are, are closed down quicker and a little more isolated, or Fino is not as fast you know, getting into open positions as he was maybe a year, a year and a half ago. And I, th- I think, again, that's down to conditioning. So... Just, just something to be aware of for Liverpool fans. Yeah, uh, look, not not sounding any alarms here about, no, about Liverpool, no. right? Like they'll they'll finish in the top two or three, probably comfortably. So, um, but they need to get guys back. I mean, I think they 
really are missing Jota, and not just because of his goals, but like I said, someone yeah. to fill in. Um, exactly. From there, Rian, should, we we go? should we move on to like the lurking <laughs> Death Star 3.0 that is Manchester City right now? I really maybe I'll add like Star Wars background battle music when I when I edit this out um, for this part of the pod. But yeah, I, <laughs> this is really interesting to me. You sent me an article about why 538 has always chosen Manchester City as the likely Premier League title favorites. And it was interesting. And, and it makes sense. But do you want to give us a quick overview? I mean, let's also point out that they played the last two games against Crystal Palace and Brighton, you know, two teams that I think we would expect City to beat, maybe not necessarily comfortably, especially against a team like Brighton. Um, But you would expect them to still win. So why do you or you and our friend Nate Silver um, think (laughs) that Manchester City were always the favorites to win the title? Well, for me... I thought Liverpool. I had Liverpool as my favorites to, for the basically, I'm gonna oh, say really up until like the last, <laughs> up until like the last week probably, but um, I mean five thirty eight. Not to get too much into like the how much they actually calculated this stuff because even I am can't say I'm at the depths to quite understand, um, their formulas, but it, it's more or less based on. Know, how they've performed against the same level of competition as the rest of the league, and and it, it pulls in like XG and and all this other stuff like non-shot XG. I'm not going to even go on about that right now, but for just the reason why I have started to believe why they they are um, probably, in my opinion, I think they'll win the title. Just to start, I mean, they're the only team in the Premier League this year, so so far, who have won five in a row, which sounds crazy in a sense because, you know, usually by this point, you've got at least two very, very strong teams and, and winning five in a row is, you know, it, it's, it's, not, um, it's not that taboo, right? But in this season, especially for, in England, um, with how crazy everything has been, and how like what a fifth a little more than like, maybe like a fifth of the teams had to um play in Europe up until mid August and and um had a very tough like start to the season it's, i mean they they look ominous i mean really they look ominous they haven't lost since the the 2-1 loss to or sorry 2-0 loss to spurs um in November They've only conceded two goals since then. And he's trying this thing with Gundogan and and um, De Bruyne sometimes too, like kind of playing up top and it's working. It's working. And and they look uh, more can, defensively can I tell you? Can I tell you why it's working? Oh, yeah. I've, I've realized this just... This is me in my tactical head because I love just looking at how this plays out for City. The reason why the De Bruyne Gundogan almost double 10 kind of pivot is working is because they are both 
so good at dragging defenders out of position. And again, it's a small sample size, but if you go back and look at the footage, De Bruyne, I think for obvious reasons, naturally draws defenders towards him. But what I think people don't recognize is Gundogan's vision is second to none. And I think that's largely why Pep has him starting now in, in a lot of these games. It's always been a mainstay exactly. since coming to City, too. Right? Yeah, and he may, I mean, granted, he may not have always been a starter for City, but he's always performed, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. him and the likes of Bernardo Silva, who unfortunately, in my opinion, has kind of off a little bit in the last year. Yeah. Um, Gundogan has been relatively consistent and giving him just an extra five yards of space is really, really detrimental to any team that's defending in a compact low block against city, because you're essentially allowing your defenders to get drawn out. Right. And you can't give De Bruyne and Gundogan that much time on the ball. So, sorry, that that's just my piece. No, no. And no, I love that. It's, Look, he's got four goals in his last five games, I believe, in Okagunawan. And speaking to, like, your their ability to, um, like I said, draw defenders out of space. And in basketball, I think the nomenclature there is, like, it's gravity. It's the gravity of the player, right? I look at the goal, Foden's goal against Brighton. So De Bruyne picks it up somewhere on the left-hand side, maybe about... 10-ish yards um, outside of the box. He picks it up in some in like small space, for sure. Picks up some space, and there's like three or four defenders who are holding their positions because they're just in the, their little block there. And there's just some space. Instead of De Bruyne taking that and passing it off someone, he engages with the defenders. He dribbles just maybe like five yards, draws in three and lays it off to to Foden, who then has to still do a lot of work to score, but he lays it off to him in space and, and he ends up scoring the goal. And I mean, the the intelligence of that and also something that like that I really wish that more players in general, but 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 definitely a, a bit of a Chelsea thing here, is to take the space that's given to you by the defenders. It's given to you by the other team. I think we see so many times um, in a lot of teams, not just Chelsea, but like in a lot of teams where you're so focused on the possession that it's almost like take the ball, pass the ball, as as uh, Pep Guardiola has said. Uh, <laughs> says yes. In the yes. But... Um, <laughs> But it's almost it's almost like that instead of you know seeing what's actually in front of you and especially when teams are dropping deep and the intelligence to just commit a defender I think that is the kind of the grand thing that I'm trying to come across here is that drawing a defender out of position is the most important thing like that's that's what the attack is supposed to do that's even what like great possession is supposed to do draw the defenders out of position right and. Yeah, I mean, Gundogan and De Bruyne have been magnificent this this season, especially in the last two months, um, which is what we'd always expect from De Bruyne, obviously. But yeah, um, but Gundogan playing in a position that's not natural to him is he's kind of taking it to another level here. And and all this being said, Sergio Aguero still <laughs> has played so little of this season, and and it's. And is just coming back from a, uh, from not coronavirus, but being 
as Pep Guardiola said, a little closer in contact than usual to someone <laughs> who had who had COVID. So um, he literally made it like it was his wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I I'm I guessing that's probably. Been... I mean, let's hope, right? Uh, yeah. I... If uh, it's not like it's Mendy <laughs> not to get and his big bum Latinas, but yeah, yeah. Oh my yes, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. but yeah, look, all, like I said, City look, City look like the Death Star, they look like the Death Star right now. And um, title of the podcast, City Look Like the Death Star. I've yeah. always I've been trying to figure it out mid podcast. There you go, that's gonna be a bar <laughs> anyway. But yeah, Rian, I mean, City are kind of on a tear. Um, they I don't want to say they look like City of old because I think there have kind of been different versions of it, but they're in a good spot for to see. I'll leave it at that. And uh, maybe we could, maybe we have to review who our picks for the the Premier League title are. But I don't know. I digress. Anyway, let's take a break and uh, we'll be back and talk about other non or actually more depressing things for you, unfortunately. But of course, we're going to be talking about Chelsea's woes. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I've been waiting a full day for this. I've been waiting a solid 24 hours to talk to Rihanna about Chelsea where they're at granted this doesn't give me great joy let me point that out in saying that chelsea are really just not in for it right now um they were as some might recall my picks to win the title and by the way their expected position their literal like x position xp is that what you want to call it um yeah yeah is or was second in the table at this point so I was not far off, other than the fact that I was so far off. So, Rian, do you want to talk about this from a Chelsea perspective or a Leicester perspective? Because I think there there's two parts to this story. I, I think we should start with the Leicester part of this, because at the end of the day, one team is a potential that we might end up talking about Leicester more throughout the, the season than Chelsea, because... Because Leicester actually look like a team that are going to be in and in and around the top three or four for the rest of the season, right? Um, they haven't lost a match in a month. That's twenty points from their last nine games and two really good wins, or two really good two nil wins. Um, played Chelsea off the park today. Looked like a team with uh, more cohesion, obviously in better form and and just look really formidable honestly um add that to the 2-0 win against Southampton and we've lauded Southampton for this entire season and beating Southampton has not been easy for anyone right so um you have to give them the huge credit huge credit there um today Wesley Fofana I've talk, talked about before that they brought him from St. Etienne, 20 years old, great signing. He's been fantastic. And they just look like a, they look more like a Champions League team than, than Chelsea does right now. It's really that simple, honestly. Um, and massive, massive props again to Brendan Rodgers, who 
Yeah, it was the second half of last season. We talked about that collapse. So to kind of have the team in this same mentality in this season and, you know, there's still this whole second half of the season to go. I know it's almost the end of January, but um, there are still a lot of games to play in England and I'm a little wary about how they fit them in. But yeah, Leicester are in a much better position, I feel like, coming to the end of the first half of the season than they they were last season, when I think that was around the time that the injuries started happening and around the time they started falling off. So you got to give credit to Leicester first. Yeah, no, I I think that's completely fair. Um, I think we like to jump to the gun of top six teams, right, and just say, oh, it's it's almost for the, the sake of the narrative that it's one way or the other, but Leicester are slowly becoming part of that top six narrative. Maybe not in the, the historic sense that we think of your your Arsenals, your you know, your Chelsea's obviously, your United's, but they are becoming part of a modern narrative in which their club management, I think, combined with their <laughs> I don't know what it is about this. I, I want to say their their internal culture is probably the best way of putting it. Is one of it, it, there's a drive and there's a determination. There is there is this unrelenting feeling of we need to strive for more constantly. I mean, you're you're talking about players that are still in the squad. Jamie Vardy being, I mean, probably most prominent one that won the title in 2015 and are now on to still playing with the squad and competing for a top four position. There's something very special about that. And Brendan Rodgers, I think, adds an edge, right, to their game from a a coaching perspective. Um, So that can't be undermined. I always say that that, talent overcomes everything. In my opinion, Leicester have gotten better in talent over the last five years. I think that's very, very clear. But maybe not so much so compared to, I mean, I'm going to say it, I'm sorry, Rian, but compared to Chelsea, I would say Chelsea are a more talented side. But when you have the level of drive and determination, and also form as a part of it, but when you play a side like Leicester, who who press, who who constantly put you under pressure off the ball, on the ball, it's... It, it, Relenting, quite frankly, and their their wins can really, really be attributed to that kind of mindset more than I think most clubs in England right now. Yeah, and and they've shown like, the flexibility this season too, right? I think we discussed like their their different formations that they've used throughout the season, and you know, sometimes they press very high, sometimes they don't, and it's very much like a almost an opposition to opposition kind of thing, which is. You know, in an ideal world, that's how that's how you would want uh, your favorite club to play is you know not be is to be malleable as they have been this season, right? And yeah, he's had great coaching. Like that's that's like the big the big takeaway from the last um, th- two seasons with Leicester. Every player, I can't think of a single one that hasn't gotten better since Brendan Rodgers has come into the club. Very true. That's another point, actually. Yes, I forgot to make that point. There, I don't think, is a single player that has, I mean, not gotten better, right? Has this stagnated or gotten worse. 
every player has in some way increased their level of talent of contribution to the team. And again, it, it's part of the coaching. It's part of the management. It, that, that's what that comes down to. Um, there are nuances to each one, to each coach. But yeah, that's that's what it ultimately comes down to. Good point. Yeah, and that's where I think me and probably many other Chelsea fans are <laughs> are having um, very conflicted feelings right now. Well, where's um, where's your head? Where's your head at? And where's your heart at? I'll ask that. I mean. Do you? I don't even want to ask the question: Does Lampard get sacked now? It's, it's. I, I think it's a silly question. Not because I think it's it's not going to happen or it is going to happen. I think it's just a silly question to speculate whether that's the case because I, I think there's a there's a bigger problem here. Yeah, I think there's a. I, I agree. I think there's a bit of a bigger issue here. Um, I mean, just from this game, I mean, Chelsea looked lost they looked short of confidence short of form all of that plus they just they just didn't look as well coached i mean to to be completely blunt about it um and like you said there's a bit more to it than than just the coach himself just than just the manager himself right um I think I kind of touched on it last, either last week or a week or a week before that, with the recruitment side of this, where no doubt, hundred percent talented players, hundred percent. Like I, out of all of this, out of all that has happened this season, I don't know if I'm maybe um, alone in this, but I don't doubt the talent of any of the players that came in, and I don't subscribe to this they can't adapt to the Premier League as if like the Premier League is the Monstars and like and every other league in Europe is Toon Squad. Like that's just not it. There's just <laughs> there's just so I mean much I, more I will say like based on watching especially the the Spurs documentary on Amazon Prime, it's very clear that there is a shift from between leagues. Not like specifically of course. the Premier League. Of course in yes. general, I shouldn't say leagues. that that yeah. Of course, I shouldn't. Say, I shouldn't say that 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 it's not possible, not impossible for a player to come from a different league and not and not um, have the same success. Of course not. There's a lot um, of double negatives in that, but sure, <laughs> I got what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but you know, the, as good of a players as we think that they are, right? In soccer, it's so fragile. The form, form, confidence, and I guess, for, for lack of a better phrasing, just positional fit or or team fit, um, playing style fit, even, and that was kind of the issue. I think is that the gold standard for me in recruitment in European soccer, at least, is. Liverpool and Bayern Munich, two clubs that above all, when they go and identify a player, it's about, do they fit our style of play or the style of the play of the manager or whatever it is. Right. And the thing is, even at the end of last season, even with Chelsea totally overperforming the preseason expectations of Lampard's first season, 
it's it's hard to say that there was a discernible style to the team. I, I almost think of it as like things that the team can rely on, even when things aren't going well. Like parts of how they play that they can always rely on. Like no matter what, we know we're doing this, right? For Liverpool, that's obviously the the Gagan pressing and and their fullbacks not only making the crosses, but also you know, looking inside for their forwards and 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 the high line, and then the same thing for somewhat similar thing for Byron. For Byron, it's always the, the high line, the high press, all of this. And I mean, Manchester City, you know, it's the possession, you know, the movement, everything about that. Even United, even United, know that almost no matter what, if we get the ball to Bruno Fernandez, Marcus Rashford knows if I just start sprinting in a straight line to the trying to get in behind defenders, that ball is going to be played to me. I mean, not just him, but, you know, things to rely on and things where you go and you get a team of runner and it's like, okay, he's going to play here or he's going to do this thing that we always try to do and he's going to do it at a better rate, right? And I, I just think that's, unfortunately for me and, and uh, Chelsea supporters, is where that fell a bit short in the recruitment process, right? And the issue there might be more that there was no discernible playing style, really, honestly. Um, I think you could say that, that Chelsea pressed, pressing was kind of their thing, but um, but I, even last season, I didn't think that, that the pressing was quite good enough um, or, or uh, cohesive enough, but... Yeah, I, I've I've kind of gone on for a while here, Elias, to, to jump back in here. But but yeah, that's where my my you head want me to is. Save you? Is that what it is? <laughs> Before we we have even gotten on to the sacking part of it, yeah. But that's where my head is in terms of the the playing style, and and in, in terms of what the issues might be more than just the coach for now. Yeah. No. You, I mean, so when I alluded to there being a slightly bigger problem than just Lampard, that was exactly it. It was the fact that I don't know how much of a coordination there was between, you know, management saying, who do you want, slash Lampard saying, these are the players that I think are going to fit this style. It almost seemed too good to be true. Do you remember when Ziyech, Werner, you know, Kai Havertz, all were signed within Havertz, this period? The Havertz and Werner ones were the... Because yeah. Werner was, or not Werner, sorry, Ziyech was Ziyech, yeah. um, s- announced in January of last year. And yep. and uh, from all that I've read, they were something that they've been, that uh, the Chelsea board and transfer um, team has been looking at for, for years before bringing him in. So that one was a bit more of like a continued kind of uh, scouting there and bringing him in. But, but yeah, you're right. The, the Werner and Havertz ones were a bit more of a spur of the moment. No one else can get them right now. So, right the assets and yeah and And i can understand the reasoning of it right i can understand the reasoning of it but i can also i I can guarantee you that this conversation happened within the the managerial or management room where this decision was made what's the worst that can happen the worst that happens that sell them for a slight (laughs) slight loss (laughs) in future years um which you can make the argument they're headed towards but again that's part of the problem is that the squad actual squad planning wasn't amazing. There is a way of fitting great players together, right? There's, there are coaches that can do that. 
And I think Real Madrid is probably a great example of that. But but you have to have that that level of strong coordination between the management, management board and the manager that you bring in. And I, I, don't, I just don't know if those ideas are on the same page. They may be there, but they may just not be in agreement. And I think the only way, getting on to kind of the sacking point now, the only way that this continues is, honestly, in my opinion, for Lampard to get sacked. I'm not saying that's a right decision. I'm not saying it's a wrong decision. I'm saying just based on the dichotomy of their two, I guess, you know, paths, if you will, this is going down the direction of Lampard being sacked because – the only thing that you can change right now, if you're the board, is obviously not going to be you. So what is it going to be? It's going to be the coach that you know will have to leave and a manager that will come in and be able to tactically figure out the strengths of each one of these players. We have been screaming. I mean, basically every football fan that's watched Chelsea, including Chelsea fans, have been screaming for Werner to play in a 4-4-2 or a two-man striking duo with Olivier Giroud. Why has that not happened? You know, people have been asking questions of both Kovacic, Jorginho, and even Conte in some ways, when nothing has necessarily been done about that until maybe the last two weeks. So, again, why haven't those questions been answered? I, th- that's where I think it comes down and, to the coach. Yeah, and, that, and that's where I, I think now you look over to the body of work of the first season and a half, and I think one of the... Um, main criticism of Lampard, which I, I think I've said before, that seemingly he has issues judging his own players' abilities, right? Um, I I kept pounding on about how uh, Mason Mount is not a number 10 and not a left winger, and he played too much of that, I thought, last season. Granted, more out of um, necessity than, than, uh, than that being the actual plan for him going forward, right? Um, but there are just some things. It, it's it's very weird. A few of the things that that Chelsea just don't do, and I thought a perfect example of that is Leicester's second goal, and kind of the ten or so minutes leading up to it, or even the entire half leading up to it. Right, um, the runs that are being made in behind for Chelsea that Tammy Abraham. Kept making them. Um, Havertz did a couple times. Timo Werner has been doing it the entire season, and the lack of—I I don't want to use desire because I think this is something that could be so easily just told to players. Um, but the lack of ambition to play the ball into space, and during this game, there was—I I, I said to my roommate, I was like. Are we refusing to play Timo Werner into space? Are we refusing to actually use his pace? I I don't understand. Everything is. I I don't. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily the problem because there have been times where he's been played into space, and I I don't want to be cliche about it, but he has wasted a lot of chances he's been played in space with. He's. I I agree. He's wasted chances. No no doubt. And I think that's where it comes down to like a combination of things. Right. Um, I think his form, I think his confidence is just low at the moment, but even so, I mean, he, he should have scored against Fulham over the weekend. No doubt. Like he got played in, he should have scored against them, but, uh, but more than just him, it's just that thinking in general, Cal Hudson or Doy 
made probably at least three or four of those runs in the first half and got a little frustrated when it's just not being played. And it's, and it's, um, it's just weird. You know, it's weird that with all of the pace that Chelsea has, that the team does not play more direct. And that's where maybe one of my biggest criticisms at the moment, but, but uh, out of it all, it just, it just, uh, Frank Lampard sees a bit lost at the moment and um and he shouldn't bear the full brunt of the blame uh, i think you're you're right in that alice and and you have to throw into that yes the players are also are also low on confidence and then out of form and yeah all of this yeah. other stuff that comes with that comes with um you know a lot of games in a short span and then you lose a few of them and and you're <laughs> dropping down the table and you know all the psychological parts of it of course but um right it, it it uh the reports are out there that's a matter of when and not if um he gets sacked and I, I I mean I don't think you can argue with what has happened, especially in the last month, but the team seemingly not still not having a discernible playing style is really difficult to answer for, right? It's one thing to lose. It's one thing to be out of form, right? Right. Liverpool right. have been out of form, and they and they've granted they lost to Southampton, a good Southampton team, but even out of form, for the most part, Liverpool will draw if they don't if they're if they're just not clicking, right? And also, it's, it's not. I mean, it's not. But no, it's not even the, the standard part. It's just they're still playing with a discernible style of play that every player's bought into. Right, it's not like they deviated yep. from the game plan. And said, "Screw it, we're gonna play purely counterattacking route one, and it's gonna be, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah." It's not that's not the case. Um, I think Chelsea needs to do some soul searching, and I mean, I mean that genuinely. And I think the season will likely end with Lampard not coaching the side. Honest, I know we had this a couple of weeks ago about what worth sacking managers in the middle of the season. I think this may be one of those situations where it is worth it. I, I genuinely mean that because I, I don't, I, I don't see it changing. You can you can make the argument that Arteta changed things. Well, I mean, clearly he changed things because Arsenal are heading into a better direction. But um, I don't know if it's the same with Lampard. So anyway, yeah, yeah, Lampard. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I didn't, no, 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 no. Go ahead. I, I, was just, I just, just one more thing. Yeah, with comparing the Arteta to Lampard thing, Arteta still had in the back. In in his back pocket, a fail safe of all right. Well, worst case scenario, I will play these guys who are playing very well in the Europa League or whatever. I, I will play these. I will play the young players. Lampard doesn't have that. He doesn't have that. He he played the young players last year, um, and it, that's that's really it. He doesn't have anything to go back on right now. And um, and yeah, yeah. I think you've got a good point. It, it's a bit of Letting him end the season to give him a chance to get out of it, and maybe the players to get out of it in terms of their form and whatever and whatnot. Um, and then there's also the well, if we sack him in the middle of the season, um, when's the right time to do it so that his sacking also somehow coincides with like an easy run of form or something for the players to get their confidence back? Or it's not easy, but. Yeah, I, I think you're right. More likely than not, he's not going to last the season. And um, 
almost definitely he's he's not going to be the coach next season. So. Yeah, well, there you go on Chelsea. Um, Redown, why don't we move on to our last bit, just rounding up a little bit about the rest of the Premier League. I mean, we talked, we just touched on Arsenal, so why don't we start there? Um, moving towards really two teams that have stepped up in form, Arsenal and Spurs, um, of course, bit of rivals, but let's talk about them individually for a second. What have Arsenal done right? Since we since we basically were screaming right on the pod for Arteta to make changes <laughs> and for him to not just play the kids but give them a shot, it's not like this a last ditch effort for him. It was more just saying do something that's or do the opposite of what's not been working. So where 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 is your head with Arsenal and, and also with Spurs? Yeah, well, just with Arsenal, that's they beat Newcastle three 0 It's four wins in five in since since not being able to win for what was it like a, almost two months. So yeah, it's it's all going it's all going the way that you would uh, you would have hoped, like literally in your wildest dreams. Like that, I can't remember if it's the second or third goal where um, ML Smith Rowe just absolutely tears apart. Uh, Newcastle's defender uh, Lascelles and lays off an assist for Bukayo Saka. Like, that's that in your wildest dreams was exactly what Eddie Arsenal would have hoped would happen when these players come in is that that they they click together. Um, I mean, almost any any fan of any team you know, when the homegrown academy players are clicking, especially to each other. I mean, that's 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 really it there. I think that's probably the second time at least that Smith Rowe has uh, assisted Saka in the last few weeks that that West Brom goal that was really very Arsenal very Arsene Wenger-esque um that Saka scored a few weeks ago but yeah Arsenal look resurgent they look stable again you know which again this is still a transition time for them so there's still so much that has to be done we know for in terms of recruitment side of it but uh, yeah this is this is kind of the other side of that giving the manager the time if you if you fully trust him um and can also evaluate that the issues are not the manager's fault and that's been evaluated that's been correctly evaluated by arsenal and um and yeah and and i expect them to, to kick on in a sense in the second half of the season I um, would still be slightly surprised if they finished in the top six, but if they were able to finish seventh or eighth from the point that they were two months ago, I mean, it'd be amazing. I think that everything you said, yeah, first off is correct. I think there is a ceiling, though, for Arsenal. I think that given... I mean, I can't actually, I should know this, but I can't actually remember the last time Aubameyang scored a goal, you know, besides obviously this past weekend. If that sort of form continues, there's absolutely a ceiling to where this Arsenal team can go. I'm not saying that they're not going to make top six or something like that. I'm just saying that once they say reach sixth or seventh, that might be as far as they can go with the resources they have. It, it might be very similar to how Chelsea's season last year played out, where they played the kids and it seemingly worked out because th- there was basically a 
it was a low risk and potentially high reward situation. And it seems, I don't want to speak too soon. I'm being very cautious about this because I've seen how Arsenal go. And this is, I mean, we still have four months left of the season. Is it possible that Arsenal are, you know, go on a run of form that will eventually stagnate? They will eventually drop points. I'm more curious what happens after that. I'm more curious as to how Arsenal and quote unquote the kids can rebound from that point because I think that that little fluctuation, that pivot point, will define exactly what <laughs> Arsenal season will will look like. Hey, you are not wrong there. Um, from there, shall we just touch on a bit of Spurs the past week here? Yes, let's Who let's has... touch on our friend Machiavelli. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, Spurs who are sitting in fifth. Um look, at least probably at least one team, one very good team is not going to make the Champions League this season. And two, most likely two, right? Um I'm not throwing Chelsea in that right now because I'm talking about I'm talking about teams that are that play well, that are playing well and won't make the top four. Um but Tottenham's in fifth right now. They're on thirty-three points, one off of fourth. Uh they're in a dogfight, of course, to finish in the top four. Right? And it's almost like I wonder at what point do you think that Mourinho will go a bit um, Europa League focused, right? Uh, all that being said, Tottenham have won two of their last three, including a 3-0 win against Leeds. They drew with Fulham because they did that thing again where they went up a goal and then Classic. didn't try that hard to get the second. Um they did not have that issue this time against Sheffield United, who are still sitting on I think five points this season. Um, they did. I mean, they did play really, really well against Sheffield, especially in the first yeah. half. But like, again, yeah, uh, unfortunately, it was against a really, really poor Sheffield. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting in two months for me to see if they're still in the Europa League in two months, whether the priority goes to Europa League, because that might be their, I don't want to say it's their best chance of getting it, but their most guaranteed way of getting into the Champions League is winning the Europa League, because they're just, there are, unfortunately, like five or six really good teams in the in the Premier League this season. Um, there aren't five or six teams that are playing extremely well, but like, Five or six very good teams, um, and with with how the way that United and and even Everton have stayed on stayed on the scent of top four, uh, there's going to be a couple of teams that are that um that miss out who probably look back and say we were kind of unlucky this season to not make it. Yeah, but, but to be fair, I, I mean the one thing. I mean, you're not wrong. I'm just saying that I feel like that happens every year, though. No, like there, there is always there are top six teams, or there is a list of top six teams. Leicester is now, like I said, breaking into that mold, and there are arguably two sides that are not top six material based on form right now. So mathematically, 
it's going to happen either way. I don't know if Spurs are going to be one of them. I, I, I feel like Spurs have not necessarily the quality, but the co- the coach to back them into getting top six. It, yeah. There is something about Mourinho's <laughs> winning mentality, and maybe this is partially me being anchored by the documentary on Amazon, but seeing the way that he rallies his troops and, and rallies the squad around just winning, do whatever you can to win, you know, it it's somewhat unique. And I can't like I, if if I had to pick right between Spurs and Arsenal to get top six, I'm going with Spurs almost so, solely for that reason. And I think there's a chance. Well, I the only thing that I would add is that I don't know if Mourinho is just going to be solely, you know, Europa League focused in the next couple of no, not, months. No, 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 not the next couple yeah. of weeks. I agree. Yeah, I think it'll very be a long-term game uh, if it even goes that way. So, not not no. So basically, I'm trying not to no. God, not not a no. <laughs> not no. Um, well, yes, only time will tell on that one. But um, we did touch on Everton a little bit, and they got a good win against a sinking Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, who have Dude, not? What happened? What happened to our our team of the like our team of the year pick last year? Mm-hmm. It's just sad. I mean, it is. It is. I think. I so this season they've played four back. Sorry, four defender formations more than they have three defender formations. Three in the back formations, I should say. Um. So. It f- feels like they're trying to adopt a new style, and I don't know what might have been the trigger for that, honestly. But, um, yeah, that's one one win in, in the last nine games. That one win was, of course, against Chelsea. And they're just missing something, and that something is probably Raul Jimenez. <laughs> so um, I, th- I think we have to give them a, a just the slightest bit of slack because of that, but but all that being said, um no, there's there's no reason that they should lose should have lost a two one lead this past weekend to West Brom. Um you you shouldn't expect them to, as they have in these last nine games, lose to Burnley, um, draw with Brighton. It's um it is quite disappointing. The the last the last uh the last few weeks have been pretty disappointing from a Wolves standpoint, but Everton have have just, I mean, they just really find ways to win, man. Like they really do, um, and that's extremely admirable, especially in the last few weeks where I think they just got Luca Dean back in the last um, week or so. And where is Hamas though? Hamas, I, I I think he got a sub appearance this past weekend as yeah. well, and that's, um, but, but that's the one of the most impressive parts. Yeah. That arguably their best player has not been in the starting lineup. Exactly over the last like month or so, yeah. Um, and big credit to Alex Awobi, who has played very well over the last few games too, and and that's obviously part of the reason too why they've been able to to stay, uh, stay afloat and stay in that top four race. Uh, so. You know, they're one of the, those five or six teams that, that has been playing really well. And you know, we're still 
barely at a halfway point here. So obviously things can change extremely fast in, in like six weeks, but um, they, they feel like a team that will stay in that top four race for the rest of the season. And that's what I'm saying. So, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be a couple teams that really, that miss out and, and you feel like, uh, well, they played well almost the entire season where I think I kind of felt like that about Wolves last season. That's the funny thing. Um, but no, you're right. It's a, there's always, there's always, a, there's always a four teams that look really good. Well, if we get to the end of the season, yeah. like, there's four teams that we feel like we're the best teams. And, and um, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, there, it, it's hard to make a call on, on Wolves right now. Just, I mean, in terms of form, it, it's not pretty. It, it seems like a fall from grace. Obviously, they're missing Raul Jimenez, but I, I don't think that's the whole picture. There's yeah. there's something inherently poor about their defensive record right now, and I, I I think they need to address it sooner rather than later. I mean, you have the January window that's open. I, I don't know if they actually plan on making specific signings, but this has been largely a defensive problem. I, I don't think it's... I mean, yes, it's an attacking contribution issue, but that's not the biggest issue for me with this Wolves side. Yeah, that's that's fair. They they've still got a lot of work to do. Not saying that I don't think either of us are are calling for Nuno's head or 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 um, trying to insinuate that they're gonna like somehow drop into a relegation battle or anything. But um, but yeah, it is it is disappointing. It would be very disappointing for them to finish in the bottom half this season. Yeah, yeah. This is arguably a side that should be should be playing Europa League, in my opinion. But we shall see, Rian. We shall see what the next couple of weeks have in store. Of course, I, I'm very much looking forward to Tottenham's schedule in the next, I think, month. They play, I think it's City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. So that's, over the next couple of weeks, that's what I'm looking out for from, if I had to pick one side um, over the next, you know, month. But again, uh, yes. we don't uh, we don't make the actions. We just make wild predictions and terrible analysis. So... With that, Rian, I think that wraps up this week's Prem- Premier League pod. Um, and, of course, I will be naming it Manchester City is a Death Star. So thank you, everyone, for uh, for listening. As always, we'll be back with a La Liga portion of this week's episode or for this week. We'll, uh, we'll be back soon. Have a good one, everyone. Thanks, guys.